When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Back by no one's demand but our own, not from the home office in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee. We are out here at St. Thomas Sports Park. I am joined, I'm your host, by the way, Buck Rising. I'm joined by Rhett Bryan, 104.5 The Zone, Titans Radio. You know him well. John Burton, News Channel 5. Boys, I appreciate you coming to hang out out here with me after practice. Oh, thanks for having us, man, on the... uh warmest most humid day of the year i literally to be here. i could not have you picked know, of all, more of all the days you've got to have me on i've been trying to get on your show forever and you have me on the hottest day of the year no i'm kidding it's great to be with you man you do a great job i love what you guys do over at a to z and uh, um i'm really happy to be here same likewise <laughs> what john burton said retweet uh retweet <laughs> Uh, and I can confirm for anybody who hasn't figured it out yet, Buck is not a 40-year-old smoker. He's a very young guy with just a great set of pipes. Well, Man, I'm telling you. It is. It, people are stunned when they see pictures of me and realize, oh, no, you're not actually 65. Yeah. Uh, but we're and a three-pack-a-day smoker. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I can neither confirm nor deny. Oh, hey, okay. Regardless, we will be talking about the Titans and Colts, the home opener, the retirement of Eddie George and Steve McNair's jerseys at halftime of the game coming up this Sunday. But first, we are going to break down the matchup in greater detail with the Colts version of Coach Dave McGinnis, Rick Venturi. Back here on the 615 Sessions, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Buck Rising hanging out here with you, previewing Titans and Colts, the home opener here in Nashville, the, the dreaded Indianapolis Colts who have owned the professional franchise here for quite some time, even if the guy who is the boogeyman for them is now retired. Joining us now to preview the game is one of my favorites, Rick Venturi, former Colts coach, now breaking uh, the game down for us media slaps who don't really know much about it at all. Coach, thank you so much for stopping by. I really enjoy these conversations. Oh, Buck, it's great to be with you. Um, really exciting time here in early season. Uh, certainly a great start for the Titans last week. I spent a lot of time on that tape, obviously. You know, and the Colts had a tough one. Uh, you know, went into overtime, came from behind. Uh, but I think the good news, you know, from the Colts going forward is that they're offensively, you know, they really did a good job. I mean, they, they, they really did, and they did a nice job. It, it, isn't, it isn't, Buck, a Colts team that you're used to. It's not a Colts team that is quarterback-centric like, like Manning and like the Luck days. This is more of an all-round team uh, that is talented, uh, that can run the ball pretty doggone well and uh, very well coached on offense. I thought they did a really good job of being very methodical and careful initially uh, with Jacoby Brissett, but he he performed extremely well. You know, he was 21 for 27, uh, no turnovers, two touchdown passes, 
Um, they did run the ball really well, but in the drive to tie it in the overtime, he, he made two really, really key throws, a 20-yarder to Hilton, and then he threw a key fourth and two back fade to Funchess. So, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of optimism after the, the luck thing, you know, two weeks ago. I think everybody was in a state of flux and, you know, could, uh, you know, could this team, you know, will they fall flat on offense? Well, it didn't look like that. Uh, unfortunately for the Colts, the, the areas that they didn't doubt that we, you know, we thought would be really strong would be special teams. I mean, we've, you know, we've assumed that victory every week for so long and Vinny had the worst day of his career. It's hard to, hard to even fathom that he would miss two field goals and an extra point in a, you know, in a, in a tie game at the end of the game. And then our defense really struggled with rivers and the passing game and the running game and, you know, couldn't hold up in the overtime. But I think those are fixable things. I think the good note, good news for Colts fans is that, the offense really looked like it's going to be very competitive. I, competent, uh, competent special teams play is something that the Colts have not had to worry about for some time. It's been the case here in Tennessee as well, and, and that was kind of the worry heading to Cleveland with Ryan Suckup being put on IR. Uh, right. Cairo Santos didn't seem to miss a beat, though. He just straight up drilled a 53-yarder uh, and made a couple of crucial kicks for them. It was it was very, very jarring to see Adam Vinatieri struggle the way that he did coach. But if we could start with the Colts' offense, because I I yeah. was surprised to see how many people uh, were just so down on the Colts after Luck's retirement, knowing that you're going into this season with a backup quarterback, but arguably, if not the best backup quarterback situation in the league, one of the best. Jacoby Brissett is a really good player. He showed that uh, in Los Angeles on Sunday. But I guess what is the di- the biggest difference in skill set between Jacoby Brissett and Andrew Luck from your perspective? Well, you know, first of all, you know, Luck is a, I I would just say that obviously Luck with his experience, I think processed quicker, um, quicker release, um, you know, maybe a little bit more accurate over a long sample of time. I mean, you know, he really had all the tools, um, the ability to run, to lead, all those things. You know, Jacoby has a lot of those things, and the question mark was, you know, without, you know, he did start the whole 17 season, but, you know, that was with a very bad football team. He didn't have much of a chance. The thing I liked about him then was he was getting the hell knocked out of him, 52 sacks. It was a league lead, and he never whined, never never cried once, never put blame on anybody, and really was in a lot of those games, even though it ended up being a 4-12. He hadn't played great in the summer, but you could see that Frank was bringing him along. Frank Reich in, uh, in Sirianni, the offensive coordinator, they do a terrific job. I was confident that they would adapt, and, and they don't have to make drastic changes in the offense. I think just initially, um, if they can get him to get the ball out quick, um, he has good wheels like luck. I mean, he can throw on the run. He can get out of trouble big arm. I mean, he can throw it. The biggest thing with him is, you know, would he be decisive? Would he stay compact and would he stay accurate? And so, you know, I think they managed him. I think that you'll see more shots. I think, you know, when they get to Tennessee, Tennessee is corners have had trouble with us. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see more shots with him this week, you know, particularly since he's got one under his belt. 
but he's got a real good skill set. Big, you know, he's got a he's got leadership qualities in a different way than Andrew, but but they're there. And you know, he's blessed now. This is a team with, you know, and you you know you covered this series for so long. This was a team that had a really bad offensive line, and Andrew suffered early in his career. I mean, he really suffered. Sure. But this is, right now, arguably the best offensive line. Certainly, the I think, the best left side in football. And if you watch the game Sunday against San Diego, Kelly, uh, Nelson, Costanzo, and then Jack Doyle, you know, our tight end, who's the best-kept secret in the league, just pounded their left side. I he's mean, you hardly, know, if I might interrupt you, Coach, he's hardly a secret to Titans fans. Jack Doyle no, has been I a know. Titans killer no, for some time. I know, and he was a Titan, and he's a, he's a local kid here from Cathedral. I think what I what I meant to say was is that those other three guys are first round draft picks. Sure. I mean, they are, you know, they are they are top drawer, and here's an undrafted free agent who's really one of the most valuable players on this team, and. You know he's one of he's kind of a throwback buck. You just don't have those tight ends that can block anymore. You have all the hybrids, but you don't have those guys that can block that edge. And man, I'm telling you what they you know Frank adjusted in that game. He saw that San Diego had vulnerabilities in that nickel, and they just pounded them. And so you know this offensive line went from last in sacks, 52 and 17, to leading the league in fewest sacks with 18. Uh, in 2018 and so you know it's a much better operation Marlon Mack is coming into his own you know he is a guy that I had great expectations for they got him on the fourth round out of South Florida but I spent half my year in Tampa I know him extremely well and he has really developed under Tom Rathman the running back coach and he's now there isn't anything that he can't do he just has to play he has to stay healthy 16 Sundays but, you know, running behind that line. And, you know, Hilton has always been that guy. He showed up Sunday, made a big play in the red zone to tie it. Um, you know, the, unfortunately, they've lost Funches, who they had brought in here. But they've got two young kids that can just fly and are playmakers, and that's Deion Kane, who sat out last year with an ACL. This is really his rookie season out of Clemson. He can go. And then Campbell. Uh, who, who who came, you know, Paris Campbell, who came to us from Ohio State, who missed most of the preseason, but he's coming into his own. So a lot of, we got a lot of, a lot of action there. And of course, Ebron at tight end, they, they have a lot of weapons. This is no longer just a quarterback team. And I think Frank wants to be more of a balanced team. Like I, I said, and I preached this to the people of Indianapolis, this is not going to be your your father's Indianapolis Colts. This is going to be much more of a balanced offense um, than it is going to be uh, just a quarterback in the pips, to be honest with you. Yeah, at a career-high 174 rushing yards for Marlon Mack against the Chargers last Sunday. He was spectacular. In fact, I got we were sitting there in the press box in Cleveland, and I saw an update that he had 100 yards uh, in in the third quarter alone, or something yep. like that, and I did a double take. I wasn't I wasn't sure if that was a, a yeah. typo by ESPN's uh, updates, but yes, <laughs> this is a much more balanced uh, Indianapolis Colts team, as you've been saying, and that offensive line. I mean, Quentin Nelson. He is he is somebody who uh, everybody in the league is now intimately familiar with, which is a strange enough thing for a left guard, but not when you are as as talented and as excellent as he is. Of course, the highlight that's gone viral of him just straight decleating Melvin Ingram, and that was only one of the great plays that he had. This is a Titans team that 
at least locally, the questions have been about the defensive pressure that they will be able to get. Harold Landry is somebody who who there is a belief that he will come into his own. 37-year-old Cam Wake was a superstar uh, mm-hmm. in, in uh, Cleveland on Sunday, but this is not something – what he was able to do, he did on 24 snaps. Like, this is still somebody right. who's on a pitch count. Um, right. And I think what I saw in Cleveland, what we all saw in Cleveland, was not as much about the strength of the Titans – as it was about just total incompetence of the Cleveland offensive line after Greg Robinson, who's not anything special, got ejected uh, for kicking yeah. Kenny Vaccaro in the head. How do you how do you think that Frank Reich? Obviously, I know that you're down on a or not down on a Dory Jackson, but you have questions about a Dory Jackson. You're one of the first people that I heard be critical of Adore Jackson. And here in Nashville, it was taken as blasphemy. You know, this is a, this is a Colts coach who is, who is trolling Titans fans, things of that nature. But it has, it has proven to be so that Adore Jackson has serious holes in his game, and T.Y. Hilton is somebody who has exploited him several times. Do you think that will be the focus, those matchups with the secondary of the Titans and the wide receiver that will prove to be the difference in this game? Well, you know, I think, yeah, I, you know, and you're, you're chronicling a lot of things that we've talked about in the past, and I think that things that are, that are obvious that are chronicled on the field, uh, I think Frank is going to want to stay balanced uh, with Jacoby. I don't think he's going to come out and just say, you know, we're going to throw 45 balls today right off the bat, and this is what we're going to do. Um, I think they're going to come up with an ideal uh, running scheme. I think most people, when they play the Titans, they want to go right after Landry on the running game. Uh, you know, terrific edge pass rusher. I think he's got a real high side there. Um, you know, but he's not the biggest guy in the world. I think teams, you know, like to go there with the running game. And then, you know, especially if you can get him in the nickel and get Ryan, you know, Logan Ryan inside. Because what I, what I see Tennessee is I think they're really good down the cylinder. And what I call the cylinder is if you go – from C-gap to C-gap, and you, and you just drew two lines and created a cylinder all the way to the goal line, I think their strength is really there. I mean, you got, uh, you know, you got the railroad guys. you got Casey and Jones inside. You know, Casey is a 44-sack, 46-sack guy. I mean, he's always giving us trouble. He can go sideline to sidelines. I think Jones is good. I really like their linebackers. I, you know, I, I really like, I, I really do like Brown and Evans. Um, you know, I think those guys can really, really go. Um, I think you got to go right at them. I don't think you want to go laterally. Um, you know, and Woodyard has always been kind of a cult killer from that standpoint. And then with Byard and in in uh, Vaccaro at safety, you're really good inside. And then if you put Ryan's in at the nickel, which brings him inside. Man, that's really strong. That's ball hawks. That's guys that can play. And so, you know, it just looks to me like you have to work the edges and you have to work on the corners, and, you know, that's where the success has been. I mean, you know, it's really amazing because the Titans had such good numbers last year. The number one number, of course, was third, you know, third against points. I mean, that's and that's the most important number in football, and it's, you know, that's really playing good defense. But the irony of that was it was 71 points in two games against the Colts. It just didn't didn't hold up. And, right. you know, I think they, they have had trouble on the corner, um, you know, both Butler and Jackson. Um, and, and Hilton's a handful. I mean, it doesn't, uh, you know, you, you know, he's made a lot of guys look that way. But he has, you know, was particularly 
in that first game last year. He was just outstanding, really. Uh, and so, I mean, I you know, I think that's kind of the obvious look for everybody is how how is that how are those things going to unfold? You know, I I really respect if Tennessee. The biggest thing if I'm coaching this team is you got to stay out of that third and long because and third and long when the Titans bring Wake in there, and I think they're being really smart with that. I didn't necessarily see that coming, but, you know, they're basically utilizing him in those half-to-pass situations, and they're not going to wear him out at his age. And then Landry has still a really good speed rush off that other side, and he even, he even gave Anthony Costanzo, he, he got a sack on Anthony in last year's game, and that didn't happen very much. And so I really respect that edge pressure, and then they get in some of those packages, which I call Delta, which is three man down with, you know, Casey inside, and then those two linebackers walked up, and then you got Vaccaro at the dime, and Ryan's in there. I mean, they give you fits on third down, so you know it's very important that the Colts can stay out of those, you know, those real third and long situation where Dean Pease can, you know, he can put those guys in there and he can run those exotic packages, and that's. The, the key for the Colts is, I think, is taking shots at the right time, getting big plays, and you know, and then methodically staying out of those third and longs. Let's flip to the other side of the ball for both teams, the Titans offense and the Colts defense. This is a Colts defense that has a lot of young talent, not necessarily the, the youth and inexperience that they may or may not have. It didn't seem to show up uh, in two t- – I mean, they had they had some issues, obviously, but Phillip Rivers is – borderline yep. Hall of Fame quarterback, and you, you, you'll you have that. They were picking apart uh, the the Colts' defense with the screen game. They were, yep. wor- they were working them uh, over. But on the whole, this is a Colts' defense that legitimately, I think, is more talented than any uh, Marcus Mariota has faced over the course of his matchups with Indianapolis. Marcus, Look, you're exa- go, you're ahead. Exactly, go ahead, Coach. You're, no, you're exactly right on that. I mean, you couldn't – you couldn't be more right. And I think one of the disappointments we all have is that we felt like if, you know, we felt very confident with our defense and special teams going in and we worried about our offense and kind of the reverse played. It wasn't a, it's not a disappointment that you could lose a game to that team out there. That, that can happen. It's just kind of how we lost it, but you're exactly right. This is a very talented uh, defensive team. This is a team that went from, you know, uh, bottom of the barrel, I think 30th um, in in 2017. And with the new regime, with the new coaching staff, they went to 11th and 10th against the score last year. And they're, you know, they've actually bolstered it, you know, with uh, Houston, who came over from Kansas City. You know, even though Rivers had his way with this in many respects, beating our zone defense, um, you know, they did, they did have four sacks and the fifth one was, was taken away on an offside penalty. So, you know, with Houston and the young kid Toure on the other edge, who's really coming into his own. And then you got two guys, Autry and Hunt that can dominate inside. I mean, they have a very, very presentable front. Uh, you know, they've got active linebackers and, you know, they've got a rookie. They got one rookie starting and Yasin is the third corner, but as you know, you know, you're gonna be you're gonna have your three three corners in most of the time. And so he's really the only young guy. Everybody else now is experienced um, you know, within the scheme. Um and I look for them to make a big improvement. They missed a lot of tackles Sunday 
you know, weren't in great position. You know, Rivers used a lot of play action and, and, you know, got a lot of guys, got a lot of chunk plays. And then, you know, they, we have had trouble with those top teams. We, we no question about that. The, you know, the Kansas cities, the New England's and now San Diego. If you look at those, that, those three samples over, over last year and now the beginning of this year, we've had trouble with them, particularly in the play action passing game. Um, you know, they've been able to get chunk plays and then, when teams loosen us up and then run the ball, not necessarily come out to run it, but you know that when they use the run as the complement, because you know San Diego is kind of lost here, but they rushed for six point oh. So I mean, they that when they had to rush it, they got it. So Melvin but Gordon I has for, to hate to see that coach. <laughs> yeah, I look for a big. I look for really a big improvement. Um, you know, this week, and they're going to have to be. I mean, you know. Uh, you know Tennessee is you know to me it's a three-headed monster uh with a with a very improved uh you know receiver core but you know when you look at Henry and you look at uh, and you look at Lewis and you look at Mariota if you put their numbers together in 18 and Mariota missed most of the you know a lot of the season you were looking at 1900 and change just on those three guys mm-hmm. so you know, when you get ready to play them, when you get ready to play them, it all it all begins and ends there. You know, I'm a Belichick disciple. I coach for him, and in the end, you have to take away what they do best. And you know, those three guys, you know, and and Mariota's best. You know, when he's playing that almost that college game, when he can get on the edge, uh, when he's scrambling his bootlegs, that's when he's really outstanding. And when they can zone block up front and kind of protect their offensive line. You know, their problem, their Achilles heel is when they get behind in the count and they have to win in a pocket game. You know, that's, that's been, you know, particularly with Luan out. I mean, that's when, uh, that's when they struggle. He struggles in the pocket and they struggle in protection. So, you know, it's so important and it's, it's true almost every NFL game that way. But I think when you have limitations in the offensive line, and your quarterback is better on the move than in the pocket, you want to stay ahead in the count. Marcus Mariota, they have done everything that they can, it seems, to – and it's not just about putting the quarterback in the best, best position, Coach. They've, they've legitimately done everything that they can to put the team in the best position with the upgrades that they have made with Adam Humphreys, who didn't get a lot of work in Cleveland, but he didn't need it. Uh, A.J. Brown, who they drafted, who fell to them uh, miraculously, it would seem, in the second round – Corey Davis, I think, is a player who now yep. heading into his third year, he again, not a lot of targets, not a lot of work. Uh, he is somebody who blocked well, as Mike Vrabel pointed out, but they didn't go to him. They didn't need to. Delaney Walker is the mainstay, uh, and they've tried to do what they can in the absence of Taylor Lewan to, at least in Cleveland, make the game easier on that offensive line that does struggle to protect when Marcus, uh, as you said, gets behind in the count and they have to, they're forced to pass and he's forced to stay in the pocket. Overall, though, is this enough? And I, I, we, you and I have talked about Marcus Mariota previously. Uh, it's, it's no secret that this is somebody who is maddeningly inconsistent. You don't know who is going to show up, or you do know as soon as he gets out there in most games, what Marcus Mariota you're going to get. But with everything that they have done, uh, Coach, do you believe that this is enough to make Marcus not, you know, it's never going to look like 43-13 to every Sunday, but do you think it's enough to keep him afloat 
and limit the, or excuse me, mitigate the limitations that he has as a quarterback? Well, you know, I think they're on their way. I, I do think, you know, and you're right, it was a quiet, it was kind of a quiet performance at wide receiver, but they're definitely upgraded. I mean, there, there's no question about it. I mean, they did what they had to do. I mean, they got the ball to Henry. They get a 75-yard screen pass. You know, they managed that thing real well, and they stayed ahead in the count, got defensive turnovers, defensive touchdowns. I mean, it was, it was a steamroller, really. It just was, it was downhill. But going back to the original premise, I mean, he does have – it's a little bit like Jacoby. He has a much better supporting cast. I mean, you know, Davis is solid. Uh, Brown looks to me that he's going to be better than solid. Extremely good with the ball. We saw that last week right off the bat. Uh, extremely good with the ball in his hands. He's a guy. I said it on the on my radio show here last night. You got to play him. You you got to stop him before he gets the ball. Um, you know he's a he's an outstanding kid. Humphreys I think is an Edelman type of slot. You know depending on how a game goes, if they get into a big passing game. You know, obviously, he's going to be really important on the pivots and options. So I think that, you know, what I always thought was just very average. I, I do think that he is surrounded better. Uh, I'm a Delaney Walker fan. I mean, 37 touchdowns now. Uh, I said this last night, you better have him descended in the red zone. That guy knows how to get to the end zone. In my coaching days when I was in the NFC West, I saw him in his prime, uh, you know, at uh, – at San Francisco, I think he, he made a tremendous recovery. I'm amazed at the quickness, and, and Smith's pretty good. So, I mean, they, you know, and with those running backs, I mean, he has a supporting cast. I, I really think, Buck, it really all comes down to if you get in a game, you know, what you're going to get into. Everybody's going to get into these. There's no one way you play the NFL. You can say, I'm going to come out and establish the run, and they put eight of them up there, and it ain't going to happen. I mean, you know, you can you can stop people with numbers. And so I think the biggest key for them is going to be, can their offensive line and can Marcus win in a game where they get condensed in the pocket and it's really all up to that offensive line in Mariota? I think that's, you know, if they can do that, you know, then the sky's the limit. He is Coach Rick Venturi, former Colts coach, now operating as an analyst, making the people smarter, always making our audience smarter. Coach, I really appreciate the time. Thank you for doing this. Uh, hopefully we will chat again soon and enjoy the game on Sunday. All right, you too, Buck. Enjoy, enjoy talking to you. Back here on the 615 Sessions, A to Z Sports, A to Z Sports, Nashville.com. Buck Rising, Rhett Bryan, John Burton hanging out here with you. Guys, this is a difficult one for me to do, and it's why I'm happy to have both of you here, because for Titans fans, this coming Sunday has great historical significance, great emotional attachment with Eddie George and Steve McNair, the retirement uh, the, the retirement of their jerseys at halftime. And for me, you know, that happened 15 years ago when they were playing for the Titans. That predates my NFL viewing experience. I don't have any memories of Eddie George and of Steve McNair because it was before I was here in Nashville and it was before really I started paying close attention to professional football. So for me, it's a blind spot. And that's why I'm happy to have you guys here with me to talk about you know, how significant they truly were to the city of Nashville. And I know, John, you were in previous stops mm-hmm. before coming to Nashville, but you're obviously somebody who's consumed NFL football sure. for quite some time. If you could just kind of 
kind of explained to me <laughs> what how important Sunday is really going to be for Titans fans. Well, I'll start by saying, you know, Mike, Mike Keith and I have we've done every Titans game on Titans Radio. This game coming up will be game number four hundred twenty for the wow. two of us pre regular season. Congrats, by the way. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Um, we saw all those great moments in Titans uniforms for number nine and twenty-seven, and for anybody who wasn't around here at that period of time, you know, Nashville was much different then. The growth had not come in. Uh, it, Commissioner Paul Tagliabue told us in a Vanderbilt game when they were playing that season in 1998 at Vandy before uh, Nissan Stadium was completed that he didn't think it was going to work here. And Just straight up was like, yeah. don't think it's going to fly. Yeah, he's just, I have my doubts. And we were kind of taken aback by that. And knowing in the Mid-South how much people love football, from peewees to Friday night high school, Saturday college, Sunday pros, they absolutely love their football. And for a team to come into Nashville, never had an NFL team before, and you know, to kind of foreshadow it, everyone around here, if you grew up here like Mike Keith and I did, you, you were fans of the Redskins or the Cowboys or the Packers, whatever national game of the week you got, because this is before NFL, NFL Sunday ticket. This is before all those things. And before the magic that is the red zone. Yeah, yeah. And and the Falcons were absolutely terrible. The Bengals you didn't want to claim, you know, so that's what you had. And then, you know, everything got pushed into motion with then Mayor Bredesen and, and KS Bud Adams about moving the team here. I couldn't believe it. Uh, unreal. Uh, and these guys were like vagabonds for their first uh, their their four seasons leading up to all this. They played in the Astrodome in '96, the last year there in front of. 10,000 people in a building that held 80. Went and played in front of pretty much nobody in Memphis in 97. Vanderbilt in 98. And then finally, Nissan Stadium in 99. New uniforms, new identity, new name. And I'm convinced that during that time, which is incredible with Jeff Fisher and his staff, they went 8-8 eight and eight those years like that. Because in 97, they played 16 road games. They didn't. They, <laughs> they were based in Nashville but played in Memphis. People make fun of the Chargers for that yeah. being the case now. But or the, the, Titans, or the, the poor Saints Titans. had to do it in you know 2006 with, right. with Hurricane Katrina. Sure. But uh, so these guys, they were all they had were each other, and they were growing up together. And you could see that in 97 and 98 that they had the makings of something that could be good to great. And that's you know the whole mantra that the Titans have had this whole 2019 offseason is going from good to great. And number nine and number 27 were exemplary of that. They learned how to win games they probably shouldn't have. Or, you know, I mean, Eddie George has talked about it this week as this event is coming up about how that game, the very first game in that building regular season-wise against the, the Cincinnati Bengals, they drafted Akili Smith. He got knocked out. Jeff Blake comes in. He's slinging it around the yard. They're trailing. They end up winning 36-35 in the end of regulation there. And then it just they kind of checked off wins as they went. Uh, Jacksonville in week three in a absolute monsoon. There was a play by Samari Roll, an INT of Mark Brunel right there at the end, and uh, they held on to beat. I mean, that's when they Eddie George said, we learned how to win right there. This is exactly what this team is trying to do now. And those guys, they're generation one titans. They are the building blocks, the cornerstones of this whole thing. And uh, people still love them. JB, you 
are somebody who is a Giants fan. Right. And one of the most historic, most impressive wins that Steve McNair ever had was against your team. Mm -hmm. Playing against him is the stuff or was the stuff of legend. Just kind of if you could walk the people through how tough it was to be on the other side of a game like that and to know that Steve McNair and Eddie George and those Titans teams were those kind of competitors. Yeah, you're watching that game and you're realizing that you know what's going to happen. I mean, you know uh, you watched what he did in that game and how tough he was and how resilient he was and how, you know, when he was at quarterback, you knew the Titans were not going to go away. When you had nine at Q and you had 27 at RB1, you knew that those guys were going to keep coming at you. They were never going to fold the tent. You know, the Titans or the Giants, they didn't beat the Titans for like the first six or seven times they played them when they became – the Tennessee Titans and, and Steve McNair and, and, and Eddie George were major factors in that. And I was able to, I was, uh, I had the pleasure of talking to uh, Eddie this week myself. And, you know, he talked about, I asked him, I said, it seems like you two guys took the mantle of we have to be the leaders of this team. And they realized it right away. As we go, so goes the rest of this team. He said, that's exactly right. And it's, it's, it was pretty interesting because Eddie said, you know, Steve and I, we weren't, great friends but we were great teammates and we understood our roles and we understood our responsibility for being leaders of this football team you know Eddie joked he said you know Steve's a country boy he likes catching catch fish with his bare hands and fishing and hunting he's like I wasn't into that stuff but when we got on the field together there was a bond and there was a there was a closeness and I think the fans could really feel that it's ironic because I was actually living in Buffalo New York when the Music City Miracle happened. And that was an interesting day <laughs> in Western New York, I can tell you. But you talk about these two guys and the way they kind of put this city on their backs and said, listen, we're going we're gonna to go as hard as we can. We're going to play as hard as we can. We're going to represent you. We're going to represent this city. And we're going to try to really show Nashville that – you have a team and you have leaders you can believe in. You have guys that you can put your trust in. And I look at Steve McNair, man, and to me, he's the black Brett Favre. <laughs> you know, country boy, but tougher, gunslinger, tough, plays hurt, just will never say die. And I look at a guy like Eddie George, and he told me this week about – because you, you guys don't remember. I think you remember, Rhett. You may not remember. In the 90s, we had a lot of Heisman busts, man. We had a lot of Rashawn Salams and Ty Detmers and Gino Torettas and all these guys. And, you know, I think after Rashawn Salam specifically, a lot of people thought, okay, Eddie George won the Heisman at Ohio State. What kind of pro is he going to be? And he told me how determined he was to make sure I'm not going to be a Heisman bust because a lot of people were predicting that for him. And for as physical as he ran at 6'3", you know, I'm a Giants fan. I watched Brandon Jacobs. He, his career ended early because he was built similar to Eddie, and guys kept taking him low. Eddie was able to be such a physical back despite being such a big target. And, you know, Steve McNair's toughness and the way he played hurt is legendary. So I think, like you said, these are gener Generation One Titans, and they're the guys that made this franchise what it is today. Buck. To circle back on the game you're talking about, December the first, sure. two thousand two, in the Meadowlands. Listen, I'm just here to let Giants. you. I'm just here to observe, boys. <laughs> well, and he can attest to this. Yeah. Being a Giants fan, knowing how the New York media works, uh, you know, McNair was banged up. He had a torn calf. He had busted ribs. I mean, he's hurt from head to toe. And the Titans trailed in that game by nine points late, like 
just outside the two-minute warning. And they engineered a drive, and he stuck his head in there on a two-point conversion to tie the ball game up. They uh, made – Kerry Collins and the guys, I think they went three and out in the next possession and had a drive of their own. Joe Nedney kicks the field goal. They win. Uh, it was incredible because much like this game this weekend or even last week in Cleveland, I don't think a lot of folks were giving them uh, any chance. Uh, Except for the people playing, paying close enough attention. <laughs> yes. And, and I can and, tell you the Giants needed that game to stay alive in the playoffs. That's right. I mean, that was a game they absolutely had to have. And to John Burton's point, Jeff Fisher always did well back then against NFC teams for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But that was the precursor for Steve McNair and putting him on the national radar where he would have a co-MVP season in 2003 with, with Peyton Manning. That really got the New York media's attention. Like, who is this Steve McNair guy? Because, again, out of conference, played in the South versus right. the North, whatever, you want to dice it up. And he got their attention. So now we sit here in 2019. As we mentioned, the Colts coming to town, the hated Indianapolis Colts by the Tennessee <laughs> Titans, no longer uh, led by the Titans boogeyman, Andrew Luck, having retired earlier in the year, but with a quarterback and a running back, that don't that are not mirror images of Steve McNair and Eddie George. Nobody could ever be them, but who play in the shadow of yep. those two great figures and who Derrick Henry physically resembles Eddie George, starting to play and have you know the whole narrative after last year, heading into the last month of the season, having after having had the conversation with Eddie about how to be a more efficient and effective runner, Marcus, who everybody has documented at at length the issues with his health, but who from our perspective, I think the three of us as we sit here and many of the people who will be listening to this back mirrors a lot of the toughness that Steve McNair would try and approach every game with, even at, at times to his detriment, it seems, when he tries to put himself out there. And, you know, right. people will push back and say, Week 17. Well, not everybody pays attention to everything that led to that scratch in Week 17 for Marcus Mariota. Do you feel like these two? have tried to kind of live up to the expectations that Steve McNair and Eddie George have set, or are they their own men and have approached the game thusly? If they do, they're doing it privately and would never tell us that. Sure. Well, sure sure as hell not those Uh, two. But (laughs) uh, I don't think so. I think that they're they're their own guys. But by the same token, you said they live in the shadows of those two guys, and I think you're 100% correct because – there's this label about, you know, is Marcus tough? Marcus is extremely, ridiculously tough. Is yep. he injury prone? That's probably where you would lean more towards is the durability part. But he suffers because all this fan base has ever known is that an amputated limb is probably the, the, the thing that would get Steve McNair out of a ball game. That's how tough this guy was. And so it's a tough act to follow. Um, McNair had no business playing at times. That that Giants game is a prime example. He he didn't practice all week. Didn't think he was. Neil O'Donnell tells the story. He bought, I don't know how many tickets for his family Mm because he's he's a a, a Jersey guy. Mm. And only to find out that on Saturday, no, nine's going to go. He's he's good. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) This guy. Yeah, I spent spent a lot of time with Neil when I first got to the market. He he does tell that story. And, you know. I mean, listen, it's it's a different game now. I mean, Andrew Luck proved that. You know, he decided, look, I'm just this whole injury, rehab, get re-injured. I just I don't want to do it anymore. 
back then it wasn't even a question for guys like Steve McNair, Brett Favre, you know, some of the some of the other quarterbacks of that era. You know, you did everything you could to make it on Sunday. And this guy not practicing all week and showing up on Sunday and winning games and winning them, you know, with the dramatic flair that he did. I mean, that's 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 the stuff of legends. And then you hear about what a great guy he was off the field and how generous he was with his time. I mean, he's you know, the, the guy's a true legend, you know, in this in this area, era in this city amongst Titans fans, for sure. The Titans fans will hope that, that the Indianapolis Colts do not come in here and spoil the retirement ceremony for Steve McNair and Eddie George. Guys, I really appreciate you providing me some context. I would love to sit here and continue to talk about this, but as we know, practice is getting ready to start, <laughs> and Mike Vrabel will soon be out here. And whether we, whether we are professional journalists, objective media, I think there is always a little bit of fear of whether Mike Vrabel will come after you if you are in the wrong place at the wrong time. So I greatly appreciate Rhett Bryan of Titans Radio. Of course, you can hear him on game days on 104.5 The Zone and all of the Titans Radio Network. John Burton, News Channel 5. You can check him out on News Channel 5 Sportsline. You can see him anywhere that they are broadcasting the sports on on News Channel 5. (laughs) Boys, I appreciate it. Maybe next time we'll do this and there will be a little more wrestling impressions. (laughs) Sounds like a plan. I'll be Mean Gene. He could be the Macho Man Randy Savage. We'll do a couple promos. How's that? Yeah. That being said, I'm Buck (laughs) Rising reminding you to stay hot, Nashville. We will talk to you Tuesday right here on the 615 Sessions brought to you by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com.